Well, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. Today we are continuing with our series, Praying with Paul, and we're doing part two, looking at Ephesians chapter one. I'm going to read the verses in just a few minutes. Ephesians is sometimes called the queen of the epistles because it is so beautiful in the way it is written. In fact, if you read Ephesians along with Colossians, you're gonna see a whole lot of overlap. It's like the content is copied and pasted in several spots throughout. And that might be because although Ephesians bears the name of the church in Ephesus, this might've been used as a circular letter. It was really expensive to produce these letters back then. And then you had to send someone to actually deliver the letter. And so they were of high value. And so if it was used once and it was great for one church, then it was often circulated among a number of other congregations. And that's what we might be dealing with when we look at Ephesians. So I'm going to read a great thanksgiving prayer from the Apostle Paul, and it's found in Ephesians chapter 1 and starting at verse 15. <clears throat> Ever since I first heard of your strong faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for God's people everywhere, I have not stopped thanking God for you. I pray for you constantly, asking God, the glorious Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, to give you spiritual wisdom and insight so that you might grow in your knowledge of God. I pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope he has given to those he called, his holy people, who are his rich and glorious inheritance. I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Now he is far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, as we begin to think about prayer again today, I have to confess to you that I have about five types of prayers that I often pray. And as I list them, maybe you'll be able to identify with one or two or all of these kinds of prayers. We'll have a little bit of fun with it before we get to the serious stuff in Ephesians. The first kind of prayer that I often find myself praying is the shopping list prayer. Have you ever prayed this kind of prayer? You've got a bunch of things, a bunch of needs, and you just go to God. You've got very little time. And it's like putting in an Amazon order. You expect same day free delivery because you're a prime member and you just wanna offload these things to God and you expect some kind of immediate response. You ever done that? The shopping list prayer. Well, how about this? The genie in a bottle prayer. Sometimes I feel that if I say the right words at the right time, in the right way, or maybe if I get a bunch of people at the same time to say the right words in the right time in the right way, that it will unlock my three wishes with God. He'll have to respond because how could he not? That's the way it works. Sometimes I think we have a bit of a magical view of prayer. If we just do it right, then God has to pay attention. If we do it wrong, he ignores us. And that's a, another kind of prayer. How about this? 
the negotiation. This is the kind of prayer I find myself praying where I, I make a bargain with God. God, if you do this for me, look at all the great things I'll do for you in return. Have you ever been in that spot? Maybe it's a spot of desperation. God, if you get me out of this, I'll, I'll give my life to you, right? Here's a fourth kind of prayer, the puppet master prayer. Sometimes we want to uh, seek God's help, but we want to maintain control over the outcome. And so we go to God with a request or a need, but we also go with some suggestions on how he should answer that need or that request. Is kind of playing puppet master with God just a little bit. Or how about this fifth one, the 911 prayer. I was gonna call it the Hail Mary prayer, but there's already a prayer like that. So the 911 prayer is that, you know, break glass in case of emergency only. And we do that when we've exhausted all of our resources and we're left and we have no one else to turn to except for God. We throw out the 911 prayer. Have you ever prayed these kind of prayers? Maybe some others that you can think of and give a, a name to? Well, I have good news for you. All of those kinds of prayers are found in the Bible. All of them. Because you see, the Bible is not a collection of writings about perfect people in relationship to God, praying perfect things, doing the right things all the time. The Bible is actually a collection of writings of broken people who are throwing themselves on the mercy and grace of God. And we find that in the prayers that they pray. And what we see in the Bible is something incredibly beautiful. We see God's grace at work because he's so gracious with all the different kinds of prayers that people offer up to him. So my encouragement to you throughout the series is the very best prayer is the one that you pray, the one you actually pray. Let's offer up our stinky prayers to God, let him sort it out, and just throw ourselves sometimes on his mercy and grace. At the same time, I would like to grow in maturity in my faith. And so I would like to elevate my prayer life just a little bit. I, I wanna see if we can take prayer to the next level. I would like to reach a little higher than my usual selfish and self-centered motivation in order to pray like the Apostle Paul prays. And that's why we're turning to him as a mentor. And Paul will be our mentor and guide over these number of weeks in the month of October as he teaches us how to elevate, how to lift our prayers from the ordinary. Last week, we, uh, we looked at Paul giving a prayer for some people in difficult circumstances in the midst of their relational and emotional and even physical challenges that they were facing. The suffering that they had, Paul prayed for comfort. But not comfort like you and I think of comfort, like being in a comfy chair or a comfy couch or a, a heated waterbed with flannel sheets, whatever your picture of comfort is. Paul was elevating prayer to pray that they would be strengthened, that they would have strength to maintain integrity under pressure. That's what that word comfort really means in the context of Paul praying it. And so this week, we're going to look at another way that Paul helps us to elevate our prayer life. And he does it really simply. And you can do this right now. You can do it today, of all days, Thanksgiving Day. How do we elevate our prayer life? By giving thanks. That's a simple step, something that we can do. And that's how Paul starts this prayer for the Ephesians, by giving thanks for them. Now, the church at Ephesus had a very special relationship with Paul. You can read all about it, Acts 18 to 20. And it's a fascinating story and journey. 
Uh, Paul spent a couple of years with them, really establishing the church. He really was committed to them. It was a healthy, growing, functioning church. He speaks very highly of them um, often. And you can actually go to Acts chapter 20 right at the end. Paul is sailing past a certain point and he invites the elders from Ephesus to come down and meet him. I think it's in Miletus. And they come down and spend some time with him. And as they say farewell, there's a lot of tears, there's a lot of hugging, there's a lot of saying goodbye and farewell because they know that they'll never see him again. They had a special bond, a special unity that Paul had with the church at Ephesus. And we see that in the opening verses or the opening sentence of this prayer. Paul says, as we read together, that he always gives thanks for them. When he remembers them, he continuously gives thanks for them. But I want you to see how Paul does this because this is gonna be our homework assignment that you can actually do today in order to elevate your prayer life. Watch how Paul gives thanks for his friends. Step one, he tells God that he's thankful for his friends. Have you done that lately? Have you thought about the people in your life, friends, family, other people that you're thankful for? Maybe you're thankful for the way they encourage you or what they do and, and mean to you and in the history of your life. You ever just stopped and said, God, thank you for so-and-so. Do that today. That's a great way to elevate our prayer life, to actually put into words our thanksgiving for other people. But Paul goes to step two. And step two is this, it's really important. He tells his friends that he thanks God for them. Do you see what I'm saying there? He actually goes to his friends and say, I prayed for you today and I thanked God for you. What an incredible encouragement that is to his friends. Have you done that lately? For your friends, the family, the people in your life that, that you're thanking God for? Have you said to them, you know what? I thank God for you every time I remember you. Why not do that today? Why not send a text or an email or, or call someone up? Or maybe it's the person sitting on the couch next to you or where, wherever you're at today and just say to them, every time I think of you, I thank God for you. What an encouragement. What a way to build community. What a way to elevate our prayer life. But then step three, and this is important, Paul does this continuously, not just a one and done. It's a rinse and repeat with Paul. He keeps on giving thanks. He keeps on thanking God and telling others that he's thankful for them. And in this way, Paul elevates our prayer life. Why was Paul so thankful for the Ephesians? Well, he was thankful because they had a good reputation. The reputation was that they had a strong faith in Jesus, they trusted Jesus, and they had a love for God's people. Paul was saying, you are fulfilling the great commandment. Love God, love others. I'm so thankful that you're setting this kind of example. And that's the story of Ephesus and the church in Ephesus. But it's not the whole story. The other part of the story is that they were facing some challenges. Ephesus, the ancient city of Ephesus, was known for a particular building. And the building was the Temple of Artemis. It was once known as the, the seven um, ancient one, wonders of the ancient world. Like this was a, a spectacle to see. People would come from, from miles around to see the Temple of Artemis, or sometimes called the Temple of Diana. In fact, there's a whole industry based around this. Uh, there's a tourism industry 
It was kind of a religious tourism or spiritual tourism as they would come to uh, be in this temple to see it. And apparently there must have been a gift shop attached to it because in the story of Acts chapter 18 to 20, we learn about this one guy who's a silversmith. And what he does is he creates little silver models of this great temple and he sells them. And now he's angry. Why? Because Paul and these Christians, these followers of Jesus, have started to tell this strange teaching that God, the God of the universe, the God of all creation, cannot be contained in a building that's built by human hands. And people are saying, yeah, that makes sense. And suddenly the gift shop isn't getting a lot of traffic. And this guy is beginning to lose sales and he's upset. He's very angry because the gospel is disrupting his economy. I think we see the gospel sometimes as being our personal relationship with Jesus. The gospel is just, you know, me and Jesus, and, and uh, it's a very personal, very private kind of thing, but that's not what the gospel is at all. The gospel is meant to disrupt our lives. In fact, it's said of the, the early apostles and the followers of Jesus that they were turning the world upside down, and people were not happy about it, actually, because they were disrupting things like the economy. So this silversmith in Ephesus, what does he do? He grabs a whole bunch of people, grab your torch and pitchforks, and they go on a riot. They start chanting things, they start disrupting things, they start protesting, and it becomes a very chaotic scene and very dangerous for the Christians living in Ephesus because now they're a target. They're being blamed for disrupting the economy here. They're being blamed for desecrating this great temple. And so what does Paul do? Well, he prays for his friends. And that's what we have to look at in this next part of the passage. Paul not only gives thanks for his, his friends, but he's concerned about them. And so he prays for them. What would you pray for in that situation? If you had some friends or family in Ephesus during that time and the riots were going on and you knew that uh, Christians were a target and your, your family member or friend uh, was a follower of Jesus, what would you pray for? Well, I think the reality is that we usually pray our values. And that's not a bad thing. I think we need to keep doing that. If I was to pray in this situation, my first prayer would be for safety, security, protection. Why? Because I value safety, security, and protection. And it's not bad to pray for that. Keep praying for your loved ones for safety, security, and protection. But Paul elevates our prayer, gives us new language for prayer, lifts our eyes up to focus on Jesus, even in the midst of this volatile situation that the Ephesians were living in. Here's how Paul prays. There's three things in the passage as we close this out that Paul prays for. First of all, he prays that they might know God personally. He prays that they might know God more and more in the face of the situation. This is what he says. He prays that God will give them spiritual wisdom and insight so that you may grow in your knowledge of God. That's his prayer, that you would know God more in the midst of the situation in which you face. The great 20th century uh, English preacher, one of my heroes of the faith, faith uh, Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, he said this, our supreme need is to know God. 
you ever thought about it that, like that? I, I think sometimes we think our supreme need is food and, and shelter and, and maybe relationships here on earth, but our supreme need is to know God. One of my professors, and actually he was a contemporary of Martin Lloyd-Jones for a time, J.I. Packer, he said this in a book called Knowing God. He says, once you become aware that the main business that you are here for is to know God, most of life's problems fall into place on their own account. Why? Why is knowing God so important? Why is knowing God more and more such a great prayer to pray in situations of conflict or situations when we're facing challenges? Well, because it's a matter of life and death. That's what Jesus says to his father in John chapter 17. In the great prayer that Jesus prays, he says, Now this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God. That's eternal life. That's the heart of it. That's the heart of of our hope for eternity, is that we may know God. And so Paul prays a great prayer for his friends in Ephesus, that they might know God more. What a great prayer to pray for your friends today. After you're done giving thanks for them, pray today that your friends and family might know God more and more and expect an answer to that prayer. Second thing that Paul prays for as he elevates our prayer life is this. He prays that they may know God's provision for them. So not only to know God personally, but to know God's provision. This is what he says. Pray that your hearts will be flooded with light so that you can understand the confident hope that he has given to those he called. Paul wanted the Ephesian Christians to know that God was for them and not against them. He wanted them to know that they had a confident hope as they believed in Jesus Christ. And this certain hope wasn't just for this life, but it was for the life that is to come. What a great prayer to pray for your friends and family and loved ones today. Pray that they would gain a confidence in the hope that Jesus brings. A confidence knowing that we can hope not just for now, but there's a hope that lasts beyond the grave so that no no matter whatever the circumstance we're facing, we can have hope in eternity. That's the provision that God made. We see in the first part of the passage in Ephesians chapter one, a whole list of the blessings of God that are found in Jesus Christ. Sometimes it's pretty deep and weighty theological stuff, but read that today if you need to be convinced that God is for you and not against you, that God has blessed us in many ways in Christ. He's given us this confident hope Pray that for your friends and family today. The third thing that Paul prays for is this, that they may know God's power. That they may know God personally, that they may know God's provision, but they may know God's power. This is what he says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe him. God's great power. That word power in Greek, the root of it is dunamis. We get the word dynamite from it. But don't worry, God isn't going to blow you up. It's not that kind of explosive power, although it is mighty, mighty power. It speaks of this inherent strength or power. It sometimes speaks of a moral power, especially when the society around us is seen to be immoral. God's power becomes a moral fortitude, a moral power. It's the power to overcome whatever challenge is in front of us by God's grace. That's what Jesus faced as he faced death. 
that by the power of the resurrection, that is the same power that we have access to today. So what a great prayer for your friends today. Give thanks to God for them and then pray that they might know the power of the resurrection in order to, in order to overcome whatever challenges they faced. So when faced with a challenging situation, Paul thinks of his friends in Ephesus. And first of all, he gives thanks for them. That's the thanksgiving prayer for today. But then he says, he prays that they might know God better, that they might fully realize the hope that God provides, and also that they might experience the resurrection power of God for whatever challenge they face. So this is your challenge today. This is your, your homework. Thank God for your friends and then tell them that you're thanking God for them, but then go on to pray for them. Pray that they might know Jesus more and more. That's a great prayer to pray. Pray that they might know the hope that he guarantees, especially if they're facing uh, critical situations. And then pray that they might know the power of his resurrection. Amen.